everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Grateful to have you here, whether this is your first episode listening in or you've been along for the whole ride. And I want to introduce my guest for this week, Amanda Kelly Esperitu. She is an artist, executive producer, and community builder. As the founder of Creative Surrender Studios, Amanda is a dreamer who sparks people's curiosity and passion to create, collaborate, and celebrate together. And her new book is out this week. Go get it. Creative Surrender, Embracing Artivism, Global Collaboration, and Celebration. And just thrilled to have Amanda on. I know her a little bit through the NextGen community. We've been on several calls together. Always a lot of enthusiasm, passion, positivity. And I really wanted to speak with her about her journey to book writing, as well as a lot of other things that have led her to where she's at in her life. So I think you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. Excited to jump into it. So without further ado, my chat today with Amanda Kelly Espritu. Let's get it started. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Glad to chat with you again. Thanks, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. This was fun. Excited to uh, to get you on the uh, the podcast. And you got the new book coming out here. So obviously, that's one of the reasons I want to have you on and talk through that a little bit. But I have a few different topics down. I want to get into the book here in just a minute. Um, yeah. But it was actually funny. I had this note down. I'm going to start here. I wasn't going to start here before, but this is how we go, how we roll here on the podcast. Because, you know, coming into this call, as we jumped on, you're talking about these different things that are going on. You're up early. You got a lot of excitement going on. You seem like a doer. There's folks that just kind of they'll read and they'll, they'll overthink whatever. But everything, like as research doing, just knowing you a little bit, like you seem like a doer. You just get things done. And you put together, have you always been like that? Or is that something you've had to learn over time uh, or put practices in play to actually get things accomplished? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. I think that it's probably a combination of things. Um, probably part of it is just me as a person, but I think it was kind of fine-tuned. So I'm the eldest of five. I've kind of grown up all over the place in several different cities around the world. And so constantly having stuff to do with um, my parents kind of making sure we didn't have time to get in trouble when we were kids. We'd have like multiple sports per season, an instrument, a martial arts kind of thing. And so I think I found over the years that I really function best at a certain level of like busyness, quote unquote, of just like doing things. And if I don't have enough to do, maybe I'm only focusing like one or two things, I tend to like have too much time to overthink and I won't end up finishing things. I'll have like an issue completing stuff. And so um, I think it's just, I really enjoy doing a lot of things at once. I'm curious about a lot of different things. And so if something's really inspiring me um, the same way, if I'm just like, wow, I just, I had this idea and I want to go throw paint at some clothes and like let it out there. That's kind of what just happens. And so I think it's just, I have so much fun in the process of doing things and I don't worry so much about the end result that it kind of removes any barriers of me being like, I don't know if people will like this because I just really like creating things and I love creating with other people. Hmm. Would you, I don't know if this applies, but I, I, you know, the, the quote that kind of jumped in my head when you were saying that is like good now is better than perfect later is like, you don't overthink and have to have every dot, you know, every, every T cross, like you just go out and, and try to do the best you can with what you know. Would, would, would that be an agreeable statement? 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, this year and in the last few months. I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to lie to anyone and say that, yeah, that's always how I've approached things. I never overthink. I never try to like get up caught up in like perfecting stuff because I very much do. But I think that this year in particular has kind of helped me like let go all of that. And in writing the book, it's helped me kind of fine tune like, you know, I, I don't need to worry about this so much because the, the fact of the matter is, is like nothing's ever going to be finished. Like I could always keep adding and changing things and doing all this stuff. But the way that it is in the now and to be like honest and genuine and where I'm coming from in the moment, like that's something really beautiful that maybe only I can speak to or the people I'm collaborating with can speak to. So I love that quote. That's a great quote. Yeah. Well, and, and I think to that point is like just going and trying and testing and tasting and it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's just your you're putting yourself out in the world, you know, as, as Seth Godin says, you're shipping the work. Um, and then you see what happens and it may turn out to be a flop. It may turn out to be phenomenal, but you're not, as you mentioned, you kind of don't let fear sink in. You, you get it done before fear can even sink in of like, why am I doing this? Which is a, is a cool way to go about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's totally been fun. I think, um, one of the reasons why that happened was because there's uh, there's maybe this like adrenaline rush that I kind of get that I'm addicted to. I was kind of telling you like I was doing an event last night and usually the day after the event, there's kind of a crash to it. Um, and I think for any of the team sports I play, for any of the stuff I go out and do, um, getting kind of like my blood pumping and getting excited about something and having some sort of like physical touchstone to it has been like really beneficial in all the stuff I want to do of building in like parts of my day for like, this is going to re-energize me here. Or like, this is where I probably should make sure that I'm dedicating this time to self-care here. And who knows what I'm going to do during it, but it's there for me and I refuse to move it. Um, so I think it's all around like a lot of different things of just getting out and, and being whatever it is you want to be. And I think like the way I center it is like, you know, I like playing, you know, with art, adventure and advocacy, and I like inviting other people into that. And so if it comes to, you know, creating, collaborating, celebrating, and that celebration part is very key for me, even like celebrating the challenges, you know, that's, I think like having that kind of as like my, my true North has been super helpful in, you know, being like, okay, I'm doing and doing and doing. And there's this like busyness factor, but um, that kind of helps me get back to like, am I having fun with this? Is this doing stuff with people? Am I celebrating what I'm doing? Like, what am I learning? And kind of holding that in, um, I don't know, in mind of this is where I am now and how I'm feeling. And like, if I'm getting frustrated or it's challenging, like, you know, how can I make something change? Like, what is the choice that I have here to look at this in a new way or step away from it for a little bit and be like, yeah, I should pause here and maybe like pivot over into something else I'm also really excited about. But I think it helps uh, balance everything out in a weird way, even though it may seem like I'm juggling like 12 different things at once. Um, I know the key things that I think really help balance things out and the things I'm really excited about. Were you always like that, being able to balance or were there some practices you put into play or mentors that you work with like that gave you some coaching on that? How did you discover um, to do that? Cause that's, I have a hard time balancing, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, again, uh, I think part of it was because I, it's just so ingrained and habitual for me now in that my parents were, I, I love them so dearly and I appreciate it so much, but they were like, you know, you have to keep up your grades. You should be doing all the sports. It would be good experiences. You're going to meet all these different people. firstborn daughter and kind of this 
third culture kid of my parents being immigrants to the U.S. and me kind of straddling all these different worlds. Um, it was just something that it was kind of like trial by fire in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just something that I, I learned over time to excel at. And I think part of it, I definitely always have to give a shout out to my teachers, like no matter the numerous schools that I've been at as we moved around, I think I've been really, really fortunate to be at some incredible schools and have really caring teachers who've been so much more than mentors in a lot of different areas, who I identify as people who have been really pivotal in shaping what I've done in all these different mediums of creativity I love to play in. And um, like one of them in particular, I think, uh, I think I've been talking about a lot as I've been talking about the course of the book, but um, she was my English teacher uh, junior year of high school, and she had all of us write a rant poem, and we had to give up and, you know, share it with the class, and at the time, I was like, I can't do public speaking. I feel like maybe I'm going to puke, like I'm shaking. I, I can't do this, and that entire, like, very much fear-based thing where it wasn't so much like adrenaline and definitely not enjoyable at the time, um, I think what it came to was that she you know, had us go up and do it. And I think I wrote a rant poem about Asian stereotypes. And I got up and I said it in front of the class and she like gave me a standing ovation and talked to me after and was like, you need to keep doing this. And at the time I had friends who maybe performed spoken word and did all this stuff with poetry. And it was maybe something I just, you know, did in journals or I was sketching stuff out and I wasn't, you know, quite sharing it with anybody. Um, that encouragement I think was so key. And I feel like my teachers have always empowered me to really just like go after it and see how it goes. And I think having that, um, not so much like the tough love aspect, right. But someone who was like really genuine in loving what I was creating and just like encouraged me, even though, you know, maybe it wasn't the best sort of thing. It was the first time I shared something. I probably stuttered or messed something up or didn't have the best stage presence. It was just a moment of getting started. And I think that's so key of, you know, why I love the collaborative aspect of, of building all these different communities around the world is because, you know, I had teachers who were like so key and like link this to this and just, you know, go do it and go after it. And I love that, you know, they made me feel so seen. And so I try to do that for others as well and like be the person I needed when I was younger because it wasn't like every single teacher would have made that kind of impact. But I, I think I've been really lucky in a way that I've had so, so many at like every school I've been to, particularly my English teachers that have just been like, go for it. <laughs> Wow, that's really cool. You know, it's so funny. It made me think about um, Mr. Hines, uh, Larry Hines, uh, who was uh, my public speaking teacher in, in senior year. And he did public speaking and he taught sports lit. That was a really cool class. But anyways, public speak, the, the public speaking class, he so similar to what you had done, he had something where you had, a, have you ever heard of Invictus, the poem, poem Invictus? Yeah. Um, you, you had to memorize Invictus and a big part of your grade was during the semester, he would go around the school and he would find you in the lunchroom. Like I had to, I had to say it out loud. I stand on my desk in social studies and say the poem. So it was part of like the memorization of it and like the more practice you do. And he was a great, so it just kind of remind me of like, you know, I can remember Invictus poem now 20 years later um, right. because of doing that. But he was one similar that he, I remember him, he pulled me aside in class one day and he's like, Brian, you got great pitch and tone. You should be on radio someday. And it's just interesting where here we are on a podcast years later. Um, and that was one of my inspirations for starting it, actually, was, uh, was awesome. uh, Mr. Hines. So, yeah, it's kind of funny how teachers, you know, put those, uh, those things in our head, you know. Absolutely. Guide us. Um, 
even know how the best way to ask this because the word <laughs> creative gets, I mean, everyone's creative. You could be doing a lot of different stuff, but specifically Absolutely. around the spoken word are those type of things that you're passionate about. Um, how did you grow up knowing you were creative or discovering that you were, you had these kind of creative thoughts, ideas in your head? What exposed that when you were younger? Were there certain things that you remember that helped you kind of uh, get the visual of that, if you will? Sure. I think um, it's funny looking back on it because I know there was a part of my childhood where I felt like I was, I was like, where did all of this come from? I feel like I'm the only like artistic or creative person in my family. Um, and I don't remember exactly what age I was when I found it, but I found my mom's old sketchbooks. Um, and she is an incredible artist in her own right. Um, I don't think she pursued a ton of stuff because I'm one of five kids. We take up a lot of energy and time. Um, but she also, uh, I realized, you know, has, always been really talented in ceramics she makes these really cool um like ceramic kimonos that mm -hmm. I just I've never seen anything quite like it and there are a few kind of scattered around the house and it wasn't something she was really doing when we were young again because we, we kept up so much energy we were moving around a lot but I know that a lot of it probably comes from my mom um, but I think initially it was just, I was really inspired by, um, other classmates. Even I remember when I was in kindergarten, um, actually, no, this was also my teachers too. I think looking back, we probably didn't have access to the best sort of supplies, especially at like a larger preschool, but mm -hmm. our teachers were like, I don't know, it made a huge impression on me that, uh, we didn't have to use traditional mediums um, when it came to any sort of art. So we had tubs that were filled with soap and water and we put in food coloring and we had like drawings and printouts of just black and white ink that we would dip in to these bins. And it was this really cool kaleidoscopic thing that would come out um, that was so unique to each person. And I just remember, I don't know, it was kind of like a light bulb moment for me without really knowing what it was when I was in preschool because I was like, wow. I don't have to have markers or pens or be like limited to one sheet of paper. Like there's so much possibility and all these different things that you can create and do. And then I had classmates, you know, we'd, you know, be doodling um, in the margins of our, our notes or whatever we were doing in class. Um, Cause I feel like when you're in preschool and kindergarten, you're not really actually learning much besides maybe practicing reading. Um, and it was so cool to just sort of see uh, what we kind of inspired in each other, whether it was we were attempting to copy uh, the animation that we would see on like The Lion King uh, or whatever else it might be. And I think drawing became a way for me to just like express things without words, because I felt like when I was a lot younger and I didn't have the vocabulary yet and I didn't know how to really express in writing or in speech, like what I was feeling, drawing was such a huge way for me to get it out. And just, I loved the way all the colors sort of came together, all these different shades and textures you could do. And I had, um, I think through high school, um, a sketchbook that was basically coded for like only I could really read it and I would let people see it if they were close to me, but no one really knew what it meant um, unless I was kind of sharing it with them. And I wasn't ready to for a lot of the pieces that were in that. Um, and I think drawing kind of helped center it because it was a way for me to feel like more in control of uh, the mediums that I was doing. Like I used to find painting really challenging, which is now probably one of my favorite mediums to work in as a creative. Um, and I used to really be awkward and kind of shy away from dance. And now dance is probably my other medium that is like my favorite thing that I do every single day. Um, so it's, it's interesting to look back and kind of see over time how these different things have kind of evolved. But I think a lot of them kind of one informs the other. 
And so sometimes now I'll like write a spoken word poem and I'll be like, I'm so inspired by like a certain lyric. I have this image in mind. I'm going to go paint it. And other times maybe I'll be doodling something and be like, oh, this would be really cool to like write a short story on. And it involves maybe into some sort of narrative prose or spoken word poem. And it's really cool to kind of see now things blending together in really wonderful ways of where things really intersect and where they can kind of inform each other. Hmm. How did you, um, so you, you mentioned a few different things of like, you know, not sharing your notebook and being afraid to kind of go up in front of the class and obviously had some teachers help you. How did you get into the lack of a better phrase, the comfort zone or comfortable zone of dancing every day of putting yourself out there? Like what was the bridge? Like, do you remember, was there like a bridge that you had to cross? Was there anything that you remember that happened that helped you get over the hump? Um, of, of, of maybe not being sure of yourself because you seem very comfortable with yourself in your own skin, like, you know, out there kind of a lot of positivity and those type of things, but that doesn't seem like maybe how you always were. So I'm curious sure. what, what happened? Where, where did they, where did it come from? Yeah, I think uh, in a way it's kind of a lifetime in the making. Um, I definitely feel like I've grown up a lot and I'm not the same person I was uh, at any point in my life. I've lived, especially since high school. I think, High school is probably a really pivotal thing, and I go into this a lot more in my book, and this is why um, mental health is also super, super important to me now of being able to, you know, be bold and vulnerable in what I'm doing because I found that being vulnerable, you know, encourages others to also be able to do the same and feel safe to do so. Um, I think in high schools, you know, also junior year, a lot of stuff happened junior year, but beyond just that uh, English poem that I had to write uh, about Asian stereotypes and perform, um, I was going through a really tough time and it was probably one of the darkest times in my life. I was pretty suicidal. Um, I had really incredible friends around me who I think had always pushed me to communicate a bit more because my tendency, I think, is that I my family is one of the most incredible like groups of people and there are so many of us, but um, sometimes it's really tough uh, kind of feeling like, out of place in a way, and uh, that we're kind of awkward with maybe physical affection, which I always really like longed for. And so I remember, I think that there were a ton of my friends in high school were always trying to like hug me or whatever. And I was like, I would get like goosebumps. Like I physically could not handle it. Um, it made me feel really uncomfortable because it wasn't something I grew up with. And you know, they kind of just accepted that, but they also were like gently nudging me into like being okay with it, or at least like realizing that I really loved giving hugs, but maybe I wasn't okay with receiving them yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so they also, you know, didn't really judge me when like, they would be like, hey, Amanda, like, how are you doing today? And I'd be like, I'm fine and super curt and like walk away um, because they knew that it maybe wasn't something I could talk about. I didn't feel like I had the vocabulary. I didn't feel safe enough to do so. But I had a few really close friends who just like kept an eye on everything. And they were the ones when I was getting even really worried about myself and I went and talked to them. Um, wasn't happy about it at the time. They went to one of our teachers and our counselors and my parents did get involved. Um, and it was kind of this pivotal thing because um, I think it helped to break down this wall I had up of like, I have to have everything be okay. Like I'm fine. I'm handling everything well. Um, I don't need, I don't need help. Cause I had kind of always been taught in my family as the eldest to like, I don't know. It wasn't even a matter of, um, you know, I'm, my life is worthless or I am worthless, but that like my siblings, my, my parents, my friends, all of that were like worth a lot more. And so that imbalance was something that 
I really had to correct because that was in a way something that like, you know, I needed to talk about, but I also needed to like do the work to, to kind of heal myself and kind of forgive myself and the, I don't know, people and reasons why I might've been like that. And it's been really cool since then, because, you know, when I feel like it's, it's gotten a lot better now, but I feel like talking about like mental health or having been suicidal or that it's not a snap your fingers and it's an overnight solution. Like it's sunshine and rainbows all the time. Like that's definitely not the case, but being able to um, have people around me, like my friends in those early days who were so caring and like unconditionally loving in what they were doing and didn't like judge me and just made me feel like, you know, I, I could trust them. I think learning how to do that with them as well as like being more honest with myself and opening up has very much been a like years and years in the making sort of process. But I'm really glad that it happened because um, now I feel like I'm able to be myself without any sort of reservations because I know what I've been through. I know that in a lot of ways for the stuff that I've very much laid like raw and bare in the book. Um, it's made me like the person I am today who I'm glad I come across as like confident and stronger now and stuff. I'm not all the time. I definitely still have moments where I'm like, I'm really weak. I'm kind of panicking. Like, what do I do? And I know I don't always have the answers, but I think it was like those friends that really um, underscored the importance of friendship and having good support systems and, you know, opening up to my family, even a way. I think like one of the things to go on a mini tangent like this year that I'm incredibly grateful for is like all this unexpected time I've gone back with them. Like I'm back here in our childhood home that I was here for like the end of middle school and high school. And um, sometimes it feels like walking around on eggshells, at least it did the first few months. Like a lot of us, I feel like I was mourning what I thought this year was going to be. Um, I was supposed to, I had moved abroad full time. I was kind of embracing the total nomad life had left New York and um, got yanked back here in like April, we got evacuated from Brazil. So that entire adjustment was like a huge thing. Um, and then realizing that, you know, right, this is for the long term. I didn't think it was going to be for like two months. I was like, this is probably more like six or more months. How do I handle this? Um, and I had to go inward and like talk with friends and be honest. And um, some of them were like, you know, have you tried talking with your parents again? And I was like, well, I have before, but like maybe this time will be different. And so I ended up, um, I think this was also a really pivotal moment this year. I ended up writing letters to both of my parents. Um, and I wrote one that was, hey, dear mom and dad, like this is a letter of all the things that I wish you would have said to me. And maybe I'll never hear it from you. Um, and then I wrote another one that was all, you know, uh, to them from me with like love and gratitude. And I had, I read it to them, cried a lot during it, um, as I read it to them individually and just had good conversations with them after. I think that helped us like realign and this sort of gap that I had been feeling between us over the years. And I'm glad that I did it because now I don't feel like, you know, I'm walking on eggshells as much. I feel slightly more like in place and not like all out of sorts on all these different things. Um, but I think digging into like, you know, if I'm being vulnerable with my friends and with strangers and I'm sharing my story and like, I still feel like I'm not being myself here, uh, at home with my family, like that doesn't work. And I need to like go and try to fix that or attempt to heal that. And part of that is like, maybe it'll only be healing for me, but I'm glad because I had really good conversations with both of them afterwards. And now I'm much more open with them about like, here's all the stuff I'm really excited about. So it's, it's definitely been a process and I know I skipped a bunch of stuff in between, but I'm glad that, right. you know, going through all of that in high school, I can look back and be like, wow, 
I've grown a lot. I've learned a lot of lessons. I'm better able to like handle it when I have really dark days. Um, and I feel like I'm alone. Mm, wow. Well, that's, yeah, lots to unpack there. A lot of good stuff. <laughs> um, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some of that. You know, one of the, I mean, there's a couple of things I picked up if I underscore. Um, and mm-hmm. one is around just because it might suck today, it doesn't mean it's going to suck tomorrow. And sometimes you have to get through that. And we all have our bad days, but, you know, maybe almost seeing there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to take time. It's going to suck, but let's go ahead and, and keep working through it. Because obviously you've had some, as you mentioned, dark days and they're not all great, but just knowing they're not all bad days. And there's, and there's days ahead that could be better if we just put that perspective on it, you know? Um, yeah. The other thing was, and, and I, I, I kind of like underscored this like twice is communication. How important is communication? Oh my gosh, it so seems like I'm learning that more and more as I get older. It's like, just talk, just share, let other people share, listen, you know, don't always be ready to, you know, jump and react, like sit back and just take it in. And I think that's such mm-hmm. a, um, that's such a great thing. I, you know, I was going to ask one follow-up is you yeah. mentioned you wrote the letters um, to your parents and, and had some conversation. How was, do you remember if you go a little deeper, like how was that first received? Like when they, did they read it in front of you? Did you kind of leave it somewhere and have them approach? Like, how was that received right away? Um, especially the one about, I wish you did this better. Yeah. Um, well, I freaked out about it for maybe two or three days before I actually was like, okay, well, I've written them. Okay. I've typed them because I hand wrote them first. And then I was like, I just, I'm just going to do it. I was like, I don't think I can tackle both of these conversations at once, but I feel like I probably need to do it in the same day because my mom can't keep secrets and will probably tell my dad as soon as he gets home. So, um, I ended up, uh, I think my dad was out and I went to my mom's room and I was like, Hey mom, do you have a minute? And I had the two letters with me printed out and I was like, Hey, can I, can I read you something that I wrote? And uh, I went, I was in her room, we were on her bed and I, I just went for it. I was like crying while I was reading it. I couldn't look at my mom. I was like, I just have to like look at this paper and get through it because if I don't finish it or I look up, I'm never going to get all of this out. Right. And I'm really glad that I did because um, it helped me kind of get out of the stuff that I think like I needed to say that like, you know, I wish they'd said to me, but also like all the love and gratitude I have for both of them and everything that they've done for me and my siblings. Um, and help balance it out because then like when I was done, I could like fold the paper up and put it aside on the bed. And, you know, my mom hugged me and she's like, you know, I, I wish I could say that. I wish that I, you know, had the, the talent with writing you to, to be able to say those kind of things to you. But we had like a really good conversation about it. And I just felt like so much more whole, um, and that we are like that much closer, um, rather than just like being sitting next to each other on the bed. Um, and then I was like, I've been crying a lot and got water. I think my dad got home, uh, I don't know, a couple hours later. And I went back to their room and my mom like casually excused herself um, and left to like give me some time. And so I kind of did the same thing with my dad. And that one wasn't as smooth. I feel like that one was a, a lot more of like emotion and nervousness on my end. Um, and it was, I think, really hard for my dad to hear because a lot of the stuff, right, were things that I feel like I'd been bottling up or didn't say. And, you know, to my dad's credit, like he wouldn't have been aware of because that communication piece, right? Like I wasn't telling him. 
I was probably assuming things, he was assuming things. And so getting through that um, was really, really hard. I think I cried even harder during that letter than with my mom's. Um, But we also had a a conversation with it after. It was, you know, in a way, I think really hard for for both of them to hear different parts of it. Um, But I'm glad it was out there and we talked about it because then we, we started spending more time together, whether it's we've, we've gone out to get lunch somewhere that's doing social distancing and we're like outside. Um, and my dad's really prioritized, like also wanting to spend more time with me. And I've done the same. Cause I feel like, you know, I, I told them both in my letters, I think the key thing was as I've gotten older, I, I was kind of mourning that, you know, it didn't feel like we were as close. It didn't feel like I could tell them a lot of different things because they, they look to me to be like this really strong, you know, daughter in their family who's kind of leading the charge for all my other siblings. Mm -hmm. And it was just like so much pressure to kind of keep up that image that I was like, I feel like I'm not even living my life for me a lot of the time. And I don't know that I always feel supported. Um, And I said all of this, like, to both of them after I read the letters. um, And it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot, (laughs) I think, for both of them to hear. And in some ways, they were like, I just feel like I'm not a good parent. And I'm like, that's, that's really not what I'm saying at all. Like, I learn a ton from each of you. There's so much I admire about each of you. But I just, you know, it felt like something I had to kind of clear the air on, because I feel like, you know, we don't really know each other. There's so much I want to know about you guys. And this this year, even I think it was a couple of years ago, I had three family members who were in and out of hospital in the space of like two months. But, you know, it put in really stark relief for me that like tomorrow is not guaranteed. Right. And I have a lot of friends who are, you know, maybe a decade or so older than me. And so they've already lost parents or something unexpected has happened. Or I've had friends who are even my age or younger where they've lost someone who means so, so much to them. And they've never really been able to express how much they love and care to them. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it in my head, right, that maybe I have years left with my parents to go. But realistically, I'm only ever home for the holidays, maybe one to two weeks out of the year. And that's not nearly enough time. That's like weeks or months left. And so I put all of that in the letter and talked about it with them. And I was like, I just want to know more about you guys and hear more of your stories. And in the moment, maybe they were like, I don't even know what to tell you right now, because it was a lot to process. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was back in August. And so since August, I've been getting, I feel like more and more stories I now get to kind of cherish because they're dropping them here and there that I'm like, I've never heard that. And I'm so, so happy to hear it because I feel like I know them a lot more now. And it was like a way of both of us kind of growing together. So I'm really thankful that they were receptive to it as terrifying as it was <laughs> to to get in there and just start. Um, but it helped a lot. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a great thing to do. You know, I, you know, one of my biggest regrets, if I can say I have regrets, is probably my, my grandmother and I were so close. And I got, I remember like, this is end up being like a year before she passed away. But I finally like just like really like talked for like two hours every like month. I'd call her up, but like I actually like started to quiz her. And mm-hmm. I always like, you know, I always kind of have the regret of like, man, I'd love to, I, I should have done a podcast interview with her for a few hours just to kind of pick, you know, like all this stuff she went through, like she lost her, you know, her, her first husband, um, yeah. which before she met my grandfather, like lost him in a car accident at like 24 years old, had two kids at home, like all this stuff she went through. And I kind of knew that, but I didn't. And it's just like amazing what comes out where you go like, wow, you, you just saw him as like, oh, it's my parent or my grandparent, but like all these life experiences they went through that we don't even almost, we only have like these surface level conversations. So that's really great that you've done that. 
Um, and it's probably brought you guys way closer together, right? Yeah, I definitely think it has. It, it feels really good now. Um, like I can be myself at home, which I, I felt like for so long I couldn't be. Um, and that I don't have to revert back to my like angsty, depressed, like high school self. Like I feel like so many of us do maybe when we go home. Um, so it's like growth, I think on both ends, cause it sounded like it was also needed for my parents, but I'm so grateful that they were receptive to it. Cause you know, I was like, worst case scenario, maybe I have to move out of the house and I don't know where I'm going and I'll figure it out if they do, but, um, they've been, they've been great about it. And I knew part of me was being irrational, even worrying about that because they love, they love me and my siblings so, so much. That reminds me of, I was trying to pull it up here as we're talking, but, um, have you ever heard of Tim Urban? He has this blog post um his his blog is wait but is it now i'm gonna have to now i'm gonna have to look wait but why.com is his blog but anyways it's fascinating because what you just mentioned i think it's by the age of 18 we've spent about 80 percent of our time that we'll spend with our parents and it's a vast yeah. like downhill cliff from there so it's just one of those things like once we get out of high school it's that time um it's exponentially shorter um, right. So you're getting good. I, I like your perspective that, Hey, you're getting this, although it was weird the first few months, you actually have this time where you didn't have with your, uh, you might not have it with your parents if you're living in Brazil and doing all this other stuff. So, you know, it's a, it's a positive spin, obviously on it. Um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the book. We got to get into the book here. I mean, this yeah. is, I was like, <laughs> we got to get the book. Um, talk about some, some good stuff here. So, and I'm sure all this stuff we've been talking about let in and probably is in the book, but why did you want to write a book? Why did, why did you, you obviously have written stuff. You mentioned poetry, spoken word, stuff like that. Why a book though? Why was this going to be a path? When did that idea spark? Um, I think it's always something that I've wanted to do, but I wasn't sure when it was going to happen. And I think I, I briefly remember joking around with friends that like 2020 is the year, like I'll write a book. Um, but it was actually, I think in, in 2019 that it became more of a serious sort of seed that got planted. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a few friends who, uh, if you're familiar with NaNoWriMo or National Novel Writing Month, um, every November people all over kind of get together. They'll try to do like the first draft of maybe a novel. And so a bunch of my friends and I were like, we want to do this together. Um, let's all just be in a Facebook messenger and we'll update each other. And it doesn't have to be a novel. Like maybe it's a nonfiction book or blog post we've been meaning to write or whatever, you know, musings, but we have to write and we have to hit like 50,000 words by the end of the month. Um, and you know, as, as some of these things go, I think there were maybe 10 of us in, in this group and myself and one of my good friends, Matt Huff, uh, were the only two to finish. Um, we finished on the last day within like an hour of each other and we were like, aha, here's my word count. Um, so there was this kind of like game aspect to it, um, in a really fun way, but having a group to like check in with. And so this book kind of came about because I, I had been on and off maybe like journaling every day in the morning, first thing to just like get it all out. So I don't have to carry it with me the rest of the day. Um, And so I kind of like returned back to that of like how I was feeling and what I was doing, because the way I journal isn't like, here's like a play by play of like how my day went. It's more, I guess, like aspirational. I feel like I found over the years that when I write some of the stuff down, um, it kind of just manifests itself. There are all these like synchronicities, the universe, God, powers that be, whatever you might believe in. Like once it's sort of out there in written form, um, it kind of takes care of itself. Like all these doors get kicked open that I'm not expecting. Um, And so it's been really, really cool to see because um, 
as soon as I put it out there that I was like, yeah, like, I think I might want to write a book next year. Um, you know, a bunch of my friends were like, well, we're considering doing this thing. Do you want to be part of it? I was like, yes, absolutely. So went through it, um, had the first draft of the book, lightly edited some things, and then, you know, life happened and got in the way and all this other stuff. You know, the book kind of got put on the back burner. I was getting ready to leave New York in January. Um, and uh, continuing on on the like manifestation, writing things down front, I think December... 28th maybe of last year um some friends and I were like let's just write down like a letter to ourselves of all the things we want to do next year like all the dreams we want to like make manifest into the world um and one of them was like I was going to publish this book and so uh it's been fun looking back on it because I I picked it back up right all this unexpected time we've gotten back during the pandemic um I think in in August I was like okay after I throw another benefit festival thing um with all these global artists like I'm gonna sit and do this because it's not finished and I want to finish it and put it out there and I'm terrified of doing it but I found on the other side of that fear that there's like really great things that can happen so I want to devote some time to this book um, so I went back and started editing um, I had a bunch of friends who were wonderful and came in as beta readers and gave me some really incredible feedback and they were probably almost like too nice and too loving in a way but yeah. they also gave me some good constructive stuff as well um, and edited it all together and now like the pre-sale link is sort of live but it's kind of been like a little over a year in the making for when I, I first started, you know, typing it all out um, and getting it all ready, like based off of different journal entries I had, different thoughts I was having in the day, conversations I was having with friends. But um, it's been a kind of real time sort of project because uh, I feel like I only kind of ended up capping it off uh, at the beginning of December. <laughs> so I'm really excited for it to be out. I was really, really nervous about it uh, for a while, but my friends have been so incredible. Um, and even ones who are very new that maybe I'd only known for a month before I was like, you know, do you want to read the first part of my book or like a chapter and just let me know what you think? Um, they were all just really wonderful and, and made me feel more confident in putting it out there. Hmm. So the writing process, you said you kind of just, you had some journal entries, you kind of just wrote down stuff. Like, is that kind of how you threw it together or there was, were there certain chapters you had wanted? Like, what was your structure, I guess, to putting it all together in a coherent, you know, start to finish book? Yeah, I think part of it was kind of organizing, um, the journal entries was maybe the very first part of it because I knew that there were certain themes I was touching on. I wanted to see what would kind of come up as maybe an overarching theme for the book. Um, and Creative Surrender itself is kind of the like creative experiential production studio that I started in 2019 to kind of get all these really wonderful things that was experimented together under one place. Um, but I, I realized that going through those entries and different things I was collecting um, for myself in poems, like a lot of the stuff I was writing to and a lot of, I guess, the sort of reasoning for, for why I was sort of creatively surrounding and encouraging people to do so and come on these crazy adventures to confront their fears and kick themselves out of ruts was, you know, um, the, the kind of three parts of the book that are in the subtitle of uh, the book, which is Creative Surrender, Embracing Artivism, Global Collaboration, and Celebration. Um, so kind of bucketed into those three sort of themes. Um, and so that's kind of how the book has kind of been divided up. Um, and it's, you know, some of it is um, journal entries or poetry or whatever it might be, but a lot of it is just going all in. Um, and the chapters kind of, the titles sort of maybe wrote themselves. Um, it wasn't something that I, I really struggled with, but they were probably the last thing that was written. I was just like, okay, but what is the actual, 
you know, message for maybe this chapter rather than the section. But yeah, it was, it's been an interesting thing. It's like the first time I've, I've written something in this manner, because normally I stray more into spoken word and short stories. Do you remember the, uh, I guess I'm, we, I can ask you the most positive thing you heard from your, the readers, the people that were mm-hmm. beta testing, but what was the, what was the most the constructive criticism that you were like, oh my gosh, I didn't even, I didn't even see this. I didn't recognize this. Thank you for pointing it out. Do you remember that, that piece? Yeah, um, I think for the most part, everyone was like, oh, I love how you like wrote this. This is like poetic. I'm like, thanks, guys. <laughs> that probably was not something I necessarily consciously intended, but goes through. Um, I think the beginning at first was the the piece because a lot of the beta readers read part one, which is the artivism section. Mm-hmm. And the chapter that I started on um, was literally like dropping you in the middle of like all this action and like... Um, stuff for where I was in high school and like rapid fire being like childhood through high school through like now and it was just like a lot all at once and so some of them were like we really love this and we love that you go all in right away but like the very first um couple paragraphs seem like much more metaphor metaphorical and abstract do you want to maybe make this more of like an intro section before you actually dive in or like set the tone of like where is this actually taking place like so we as readers kind of have a little bit of a like barrier of like we're toes on the edge of this cliff we're going to dive into this book um and then we can take a breath and like get to it so that was super helpful for me because I think at first I was just like I'm just like putting all this stuff in there and is this repetitive I I don't know because I think um a lot of artists and creatives I talked to were all like well you know do I have anything to say? Like, why should it be me? Is it too late? All this stuff. Um, but that, I think that was the most helpful because it helped me kind of reground what was going to be happening in the rest of the book. Uh, I hadn't been originally going to really do very much of an intro before it kind of went into it. Um, so that was super helpful to hear from them. So what about the launch process? So you've written this book, you've edited it. Are you are you launching this? I'm, is my assumption on like Amazon, you're going to use their publishing to self-publish or do you have a publisher? Talk me through that process and then the launch process. For sure. Yeah. So I'm actually self-publishing it, which I'm excited about. I have other friends who are authors who got started um, doing self-publishing. So it's going to be available on Amazon. Um, I also was uh turned on to Ingram Spark, which is a really great self-publishing platform for other aspiring writers who might want to do stuff in the future. Um, And just, you know, talked with our authors and publishers who were friends of friends who I was like, you know, what what would be your advice? Because this is something, right, I've never done before. I'm kind of just throwing myself into it. But, you know, I I think I'm ready to put it out there. And so um, they kind of gave me, you know, right, checklists of like, here are things to like keep in mind or to take care of before you go out. But I think um, one of my really good friends who, uh, Olive Persimmon, who's, uh, I think she's now published her third book, um, but she self-published her first book, which was called Unintentionally Celibate. And she just like gave me all this really incredible advice because I I helped with her book launch party for her second book last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, yeah, you know, it's like your debut. You can only do it once, but, you know, maybe consider doing a sort of pre-sale um, or reframing it to be like, it doesn't have to be this like one thing all at once on Amazon and just Amazon. So like, look at where else you might want to have the book available. Um, and that was kind of echoed through with a lot of other uh, friends that I really respect and admire and love getting feedback and advice from. Um, and so just asking for that kind of support of like, you know, are there other platforms I might not be aware of yet? Um, and so like Ingram Spark was one of them. 
um, a few of my friends were like, yeah, if you're like looking more at doing like a pre-sale and we know you love customizing and personalizing stuff, like you will send us emergency survival care packages and show up with like love letters and love bombs for people because we're having a bad day. So, you know, it could be interesting to look into doing your pre-sale on Kickstarter, which is what my pre-sale now is through January 17th. Um, because, you know, people had been asking and asking and asking, like, can you sign the book? Can you like write this? Can you get advice on all this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know how to do this if I'm just sending it from Amazon. And I don't know when the next time I'm going to be seeing all of these people, like my friends, my mentors will be because, you know, with the pandemic, like definitely trying to make sure we're social distancing and being safe, especially when I'm home with my parents who are a lot older. Um, so yeah, the, it's all on, on Kickstarter. I think it helped me be like, yeah, I'm proud of my story and like where I've come from and, and that this project is launching into the world. And, um, it's been also really cool to see because I, I think normally I'm bad at like receiving compliments and I've gotten a lot better in the last maybe two years. Yeah. Um, but Kickstarter, you know, allows people after they choose whatever level of pledge they're getting to, like if they just want, um, a book for a friend versus a book for themselves versus a signed copy, um, I guess it has the option, which I don't think I fully realized of people pledging an additional tip. Um, oh. So I've had friends who are like, here, like, let's, let's make this a an even hundred dollars. And I'm like, who are you? That's like so generous. Like, um, but they're like, you deserve it. And like, we just want to support you. Like you support so many people. And so it was just, I don't know, a really cool moment of like, wow, like these are all these people that I really love coming together who are so excited to just like read this as well as people that like, I didn't even know yet. There have been a couple people who reached out to me on LinkedIn and we've talked even earlier this week. Um, and they went and checked out the Kickstarter and we're like, yeah, we don't necessarily need a copy of the book right now because I want to get it like on Kindle when it's out mid-January on Amazon. Um, but here's like $50 because I love what you're doing. And I'm like, that's mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that I chose to to launch it in that way. And so uh, because it's it's pre-sale right now, it won't be on Amazon or available via uh, Ingram Sparks different platforms and all of their publishers and collaborators until mid-January, um, just to give it some time. Um, but everyone who has donated and uh, to the Kickstarter and the pre-sale and like wanted a signed copy and all that jazz is also getting like a nice surprise uh, in the mail towards the end of January. Um, and everyone else will have access to it like mid-January to get from all these different platforms. But I think in a way it helped because it gave me some time to like take a pause and breathe and reflect on like where I am and just like have a lot of gratitude for the people who are around me. And I'm so grateful for all the advice because I think that's the thing is when I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing and I have a crazy idea. I'm kind of just going to jump into it. Like, do you want to come with me? Or like, do you have any advice that you wish you would have known when you started out? Um, and that's been super helpful to just continue to pay that forward to other people in all these different areas that I like playing in. Yeah, that's super, uh, that's super cool too. I think the, the Kickstarter, you know, I hadn't really seen that much from like a pre-sale on a book. So I like that mm -hmm. idea and, and, and it gives some buzz prior to, I, I think you'd mentioned one of your friends gave you that advice was like, yeah, because sometimes it's not like I'm even thinking about this with like my children's book and stuff is like, you get on Amazon and then it's like, oh, hey, write all these reviews in the first week and you know, you're, you know, you're trying to, I like the pre-sale aspect of it. Now, are you sending the books after launch? Do you say that? Or are you like printing copies prior and they're special delivered prior to the launch? When are the folks like on Kickstarter getting the books? 
So the ones who signed up for um, the signed copies and stuff will be getting them more towards the end of January, maybe beginning of February. I know that there's like delays on shipping and stuff with the pandemic. So I, I told everyone, I was like, hey, in terms of like risks to, you know, pledging to this Kickstarter, it might be a shipping delay. Um, but what we're what I'm planning on doing for them, because there's so much I need to customize and there's like surprises for the people who got signed editions that I really want to give to them. Um, they're all getting stuff that's directly from me. I'm just going to be mailing it out. The other stuff... Um, will be standard packaging and all of that stuff uh, available via Amazon. And I don't know, I, I was looking into it because I think the other thing I was considering and what's always really important to me is like the sustainability of any of the stuff I do. But I was looking into different sustainable packaging options as well, um, just to make sure that, you know, if stuff is biodegradable or it's supporting like different businesses or like who might be the best partner for that. That's something that I'm still in the like, like, mid late stages of finalizing, but probably right. will have done like before the end of the week. So um, it's definitely going to be a surprise for people uh, for when the podcast comes out. So they'll probably be getting this stuff in the mail around the same time. That's awesome. That's again, I, I love that you're doing it. Love that you, what is, and again, this is, I don't know where you, how you'll answer this, but like what's been the biggest learning throughout the entire book writing process, launching process. And I know it's not launched yet. I mean, it will be when this launches, this podcast launches, but What's been the biggest learning that you think you had? About the book writing process About the, in the, the entire, yeah, from the start to finish. Has there been a big aha moment that you just never expected that you would uh, uncover until you did this? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing is how excited my friends are when I ask them to support me on something. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that's probably also a big lesson I took away from this year is... Um, like I, I had a friend point out to me, like, you know, Amanda, when people come to you and ask for help or they need support on something on a project, like, how do you feel? And I'm like, oh, I'm really excited. I'm like really, you know, grateful they thought of me. I'm like super honored. And so she was like, well, you know, when you when you don't ask people for stuff, you're kind of depriving them of having that feeling, right? And I was like, whoa, that's, that's something I need to think about. Because mm. um, normally I would be like, I, I don't know, I think my default when I was growing up was like, I have to do all this stuff on my own. And so it's in a way been a gradual process and almost maybe seems overnight. But I think like being able to rely on all these communities that I love so dearly and have been supporting and who have like helped me through tough times, just like letting them know very honestly and vulnerably like, hey, you know, if you have like energy for this, I would love to get your thoughts. And, you know, if I'm telling you, like, here's when I need it by, by this date and time, like within that time frame, do you think you could commit to helping me with this? And they've been blowing me away with like, just going in and being like, can I read more? I can't wait to read the rest. Um, and so I think like, if I, if I could change something slightly in this whole process, it, it would have been like reaching out to people sooner. Hmm. Um, and just having them, you know, come in as earlier beta readers and having like different stages of beta reading rather than just like the one thing with maybe 20 people in it at once for a few weeks. Um, and I think it was that, uh, that collaborative process has been the most fun. And I think all of the things that I've done this year and years past are looking ahead even into 2021 that I'm really excited about. There's so much more fun when I'm doing it with other people and like writing this book by myself that felt like it was in a vacuum in the early hours of the morning or at night or whatever, like in a way felt like really lonely to go through on my own for like a little under a year before I let other people into it. Um, and so I think that's the thing about the writing process is like you can kind of shift your perspective and mindset from it being like, here's this like huge thing that I have to write on my own that I have to get out there and like no one's going to read it and all of this stuff that we all kind of go through and overthinking and perfecting and just 
talking it out with people and asking for like advice and support, even if it's just on like a section of the, of the book or whatever it is you might be writing. Um, and I think like inviting other people into it, it's just been so much more fun. And I think my energy around the whole thing and the like, uh, kind of panic and worry I had about it. Once I press send on like, Hey, beta readers, like here's access to the Google doc that you can look at now. Um, it just, it became so much more of a fun process rather than something that at some points over the last year, I felt like I was like slogging through of like, I have to do this. I should do this. And I was like, why do I have so many shoulds? So um, yeah, that's what I'd advise. Bring people in, invite them into the process sooner um, and, you know, have fun with it. That's, that's a great perspective on it. Um, I want to end on this point or this ask, I guess. So I want you to go back and I want you to think about Amanda from junior year. Okay. So that was a big year you said for you. Um, and you can go back in time and give that Amanda one piece of advice. So a lot of things you could share, but one piece of advice you think would be the most helpful for them getting out, you know, getting on their journey, kind of starting on their path. What would you share um, if you could go back and do that? I love this question. I love asking people um, when I'm on panels this question. So I think that if I could go back and say anything, um, it would probably be to just be bold in what I'm doing um, and not worry so much because I think there was so much energy I spent worrying all the time. And I mean, clearly I think I still have a lot of energy today and I'm, you know, pretty hyper all around and talk very fast, but I was like, man, if I, in a way, hadn't been holding myself back, like how much more could I have done that much sooner? And I don't regret any of it. Um, and I don't think I would change any of it in a way either because it's made me who I am today. And I would be a completely different person if like I hadn't gone through some of the stuff that I did. But I think it would just be to be bold. That's awesome. And your journey has obviously, you know, kind of, you know, shared the story of, of learning, right? You, you maybe weren't like that, but you've definitely become that. So it just shows that again, if you go through that path, you know, those are things that we just learn over time. Some just have to have those experiences or events that go through and we all learn at different stages. So I certainly um, don't disagree with that advice at all. I think it's <laughs> phenomenal. Um, so where can everyone find you online? If they want to connect with you, where's the best spot? Yeah. Um, people can find me on Instagram at Amanda K. Spiritu. Um, Check out my website, amandakspiritu.com. And yeah, other than that, I'm kind of all over social media. I think the only thing that won't get to me is if you sort of send like a carrier pigeon. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm always down for one-on-one -on -one chats. I love doing like virtual adventures with people. Um, so something I used to do in New York was go on wandering coffee and tea dates around New York. Uh, so we could just have a live chat and get to know each other. Um, because I can't sit still. And now I love doing that with people via phone um, so we can get off Zoom for a little bit because I feel like sometimes we all live on it and we wander around our respective neighborhoods on the phone just chatting. So I love those kind of things, especially from new folks. Um, doesn't necessarily need to be with people that I've known for years or people I'm already friends with, but I love kind of sparking those kind of connections and seeing what magic sort of happens and what ideas kind of blossom when I get to chat with people and hear their stories and you know, share a little bit of my own. So anyone's welcome to reach out. My email is amandakellyaspiritu at gmail.com. Phenomenal. And, and the name of the book one more time so everyone can hear it. Uh, the name of the book is Creative Surrender, Embracing Artivism, Global Collaboration and Celebration. Awesome. And that's 
going to be out now, basically, when this launches. So, um, yes. <laughs> so, congrats again. And one of the reasons I want, I know we met through the Next Gen community and, um, you know, talked here or there in the past, but one of the big reasons I want you, I know this, this podcast is all about positivity and optimism and gratitude and, and kind of putting it out in the world and helping other folks. And you've certainly done that. And a lot of stuff I've seen online, not only just talking with you, but just the optics. FYI. So you're doing some phenomenal stuff and, and keep up the great work. Um, so we, we all so appreciate much. it. Yeah. That means a lot coming from you, Brian. You're someone I look up to whenever we cross paths on like a next gen well, event. So I hope to one day actually meet you in person. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to try to make that work eventually, but yeah, I certainly appreciate being on and, uh, and sharing your, your journey here. It's been awesome. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview, and thanks again for stopping by. Um, if you wanted to connect further, please head over to my website, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, at brianondraco, or search me on LinkedIn, just brianondraco. Um, I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Take care.